I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Camille Guthrie. She has written a number of books that are published by Sub Press, and in 2021, she'll have a new book called Diamonds from Boa Editions. Her poems have appeared in many journals, including places like the Boston Review, Chicago Review, and Poem a Day. She's also included in major anthologies such as the Best of American Poetry, 2019. She's had fellowships from Yaddo and from the McDowell Colony, holds an MFA from Brown University, and right now she is the director of the Undergraduate Writing Initiatives at Bennington, Bennington College, right down the street. So, uh, Camille, I'm so glad we could do this. You could come over to the studio here. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, yeah, what I wanted to ask you, we were talking before we went on, um, but I didn't ask you this. Who, what are your, uh, let's say, poetic influences or favorites even? Well, um, Emily Dickinson obviously comes to mind. Um, she's someone I'm always learning from. I love the modernist poets. I love Mina Loy. Gertrude Stein and HD, and I've been rereading them lately. Um, so many influences. Um, I love Lucille Clifton. Um, I, of course, read novels ravenously, and I love Virginia Woolf. I've been rereading Edith Wharton, um, and I also read, you know, uh, I mean, I read all sorts of things. Science, I've been reading a lot of science fiction lately. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You getting into uh, Atwood's things? Yes, absolutely. I, I wasn't sure if I liked the trilogy or not. Uh, hmm. I might have read the wrong one first. I see, I see. <laughs> but overall, I think she's fabulous. She is, yes. And, and people don't realize that she writes poetry. Yes. So, you have a lot of women influence. Well, that makes yes. a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Let's see. And uh, what, I, w- I want to ask you this too, is, what what is the undergraduate writing initiatives? Do students come to you with projects they want to do? Well, I'm mostly teaching at Bennington College, so I offer classes which I call the Scriptorium, in which the students work with me, and we read all sorts of fantastic texts, and um, we work on their essay writing skills. And I love it. I teach a lot of gender studies and queer studies. Um, I always make them read Judith Butler and Michel Foucault and Zora Neale Hurston and Gloria Anzaldúa, and I just try to give them things that will um, change them, open up their minds, and make them want to write. So it, so I'm kind of a one-person writing center at the college okay. right now. Well, that's what college is for, hey? Yes. Opening up their minds. Yes, Perfect. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Well, I think we should just get right into uh, hearing a poem. Okay. Should I start with beautiful poetry? Sure. Okay. Well, let me introduce this poem a little bit. It's a sestina. And for those of um, those who are listening who don't know what a sestina is, it's a difficult poetic form of seven stanzas. And you choose six end words that have to repeat in a specific pattern at the end of each line. And then the final stanza contains two of those words. 
So it's quite a challenge to write formally. Yep. You have to choose words that you can reuse six, you know, seven yep. times without anyone noticing. And um, I had been reading, when I wrote it, I had been reading Angus Fletcher's book, Allegory, which I loved. And in it, he talks about how a sestina is a battle for meaning, for uh, the dominance of if each word. So that's what I was thinking about. I was also thinking about Yeats, and the epigraph is from Leda and the Swan. Mm-hmm. It is being so caught up, so mastered. Beautiful poetry. I was too shy to say anything except, your poems are so beautiful. What kinds of things, feelings, or ideas inspire you? I mean outside the raw experiences of your life. He turned a strange crosshatch color, as if he stood in an overcast painting and said, Oh, thanks. Yet no other phenomena intrude upon my starlit mind. I see you are wondering what this is all about. Don't mind me. I'm talking to myself again. Yes, poetry is nice and often beautiful, but it doesn't beget much attention, money, or even a simple thanks for placing the best words in the best order. That's when I forget all about your incessant demands, and the restless subject leaps the stream in technicolor, until the remembrancer appears and says, Stop this wasteful life, doctor, lawyer, thief. These fancies of yours could cost a life, or worse, too. Meanwhile, he perceives my gifted body upholding my mind as I'm explaining my stuff on the unicorn tapestries, cheeks starting to color, feathers ruffling, quiet shudders. He shrugs, that sounds too beautiful, but I'd like to read it sometime. He says all the right things, like, I love you, hyacinth girl. Things get interesting until the sudden blow Thanks for the memories. What I'll think, seeing his work in the Paris Review, is thanks for nothing, as he drops me for that prolific pastoral life with his wife upstate. The more I think about it, it all depends upon your phantom attention. Surely a world embroiders itself in one's mind at any moment. Words, resounding, ardent, present, clarifyingly beautiful, and beautifully truthful, you know? Here, I could put in a lapis color, or a murky midnight blue, or have the crowd stagger by in a riot of color, pinning down the helpless beast with spears and ritualistic thanks to their gods. What one really wants to get at is the real, the eternally beautiful, like the White Album or something, That's what makes one's perilous life worth living. All the brute indifference, humiliation, and failure can put one in mind to give up, freak out, heart-battered, so mastered. Oh, you. Wherever I go, on the subway, at work, at play, in sleep, it's always you, of the air overpowering my senses like a Dutch master in one pure color, its fiction at full speed, walls breaking, a clarity panorama for the mind 
hunting for meaning and finding it at last. Now, look at all the work I did. And not one thanks, not even flowers. Off you rush to watch him accept another award in that life I can only dream of. From where you sit, it all seems so beautiful. And I finally understand you. For that, I can't express enough thanks, as the subject is the best color for me in the difficulty of this lonely life. It's always caught up in my mind. What could be more beautiful? And I must confess, you got me. I did not catch it was a Sestina the first time through. Oh, fantastic. So way to go. Thank you. (laughs) It's just like when someone does it with a sonnet, same thing. Every once in a while, you just pull it off. Then it works. Yeah. What I really find interesting and enjoyable is how you drop in things like Hyacinth Girl. Yes. Lots of poetry jokes. Yeah. That's just yeah, it's just funny and it's just interesting. It's just a little bit of a surprise. The basic story is there, or the narrative, whatever. But then there are these little things like that, these little extra little sparks. Yes, you're referring to Elliot, of course, in yeah, the wasteland. You, you come in, uh, did do they come in later for you? Do you write, I mean, for me, usually the extras, I write the thing and then I go back looking almost left brain conscious. How can I perk it up or kick up the sound or some such thing like that? How do you do it? Well, you know, I decided to write it like a short story with characters. So you have this character of this young woman poet, very anxious, wondering, like, how to write a beautiful poem. How do you write a a real poem? How do you write something that matters, that's meaningful? And then I had, because I was thinking about Yeats and I'd been studying Eliot, two of these very dominant modernist poets I was thinking about the anxiety of influence and so I thought I would drop in these little moments in which the male poets have this domineering presence which she tries to resist in mm-hmm. her own way so Hyacinth Girl was just a little Elliot joke I think. <laughs> it works good Yeah. and I don't think it matters if you don't no, know either no, not at all it's yeah. just I mean, because just the phrase thrown in there is so, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who says that? Yes. (laughs) Speaking of humor. Yes. Let's hear this other poem, which I think is really funny. Thank you. Okay. So I will also introduce this one. It's called During the Middle Ages. About five years ago, I went through a midlife crisis, and previous to that, I thought... A midlife crisis was a joke. I didn't take it very seriously. I thought it was something that men did at a certain age and would buy a red car. (laughs) But I went through one and it wasn't a joke. It was very difficult. And I needed to find ways to get through it. And I found self-help books, vapid, dissatisfying. And one of my strategies was to think you know let's say if we lost our electricity in a snowstorm the whole day and I would you know think to myself I'm like a I'm like a frontier woman now you know I used to live in New York City and now I live in rural Vermont and there's no electricity but of course I wasn't a frontier woman and the electricity would eventually return so I got this idea of having writing a poem about this habit of mind of making a his finding historical companions mm. to um, 
feel allegiance to other women struggling in time, but also to comfort myself and appreciate what I had. Mm. Okay, so that's where this poem came from. Okay. All right. During the Middle Ages. Oh God, I am so fat. I cry all the time. A kitten scrubbed with a toothbrush online makes me sob. I'm so heartless. Seven species of bees are now endangered, and I didn't do a thing. Didn't even send any money to anybody doing any good. And I can't lose weight. I skipped yoga. I'm so hot all the time. So broke. So pathetic. No wise investments. Should have bought a 7-Eleven on a busy corner when I was seven or 11. Nobody wants to lick my neck. Nobody wants to hold my hand at the doctor's office. Nobody to grow old with me. I'm so crabby. To pluck my beard, feed the cat I don't have, and read me endless Russian novels at night. All the ones I still haven't got to. So greatly depressing. Where are you, handsome? Are you driving in your car to come visit me? Bringing a bottle of wine and a present so gallant? A new translation of Akhmatova? I love it. No? Well, I guess it's better than living in the real Middle Ages when some shithead priest threatens you with hell to pocket your last coin and there's no Tylenol so you have to suck on some skullcap seeds and knights canter about knocking you down to take your maidenhood with pointy lances and you have to work as a midwife with no birthing tub. Nobody washes their hands or votes. Nobody knows about DNA or PMS or NASA. There's nothing to read, even if you can read except boring doctrines or spiritual exercises by Gertrude the Great. I'm not even kidding. Yes, there's Dante, Chaucer, and some sagas, but it's not like you'd get near those books. You'd be lucky to have some jerk recite the latest by Wolfstan the Cantor by campfire just before he beheads your uncles and forces you to rub salve on his abs. You know you'd be sweating in a wheat field at 22, dying from your 10th pregnancy by the bailiff. Courtly love? Not a lot of it, I bet. Some local doctor would have to drill a hole in my head to let the demons out because I'd be full of black bile plus heresy as I am today. It would be a very hard time when the sun revolves around the earth and kings are unbelievably selfish and the Roman Empire fell flat. Vikings disemboweled your cousins and the lord of the manor thinks you're cute. It'll be a very long time before pop art and meerkat videos and cotton candy and sexting and fish tacos and girl bands Everything's just so bad, and you have booboos. Hopefully, I'd get shoved into a nunnery to have an ecstatic experience with mystical Jesus. 
Or better yet, I could be a hardcore samurai laying down justice on the heads of corrupt lords. But that was tough work, dirty work. You're working for nobility who at any period in history are the worst people in the world. And to be an unemployed ronin had to bite Sunday afternoons, no mom around to make you soup. Even if all the brothel ladies want to scrub your back, sometimes you just want a nice nap and some neosporin on your wounds. Ah, if only I could be like the divine Seishonigan, resplendent in silks with seven-layered sleeves, writing in my room about politics, gossip, my lovers, listing splendid, awkward, adorable, annoying things, things that make one's heart beat faster, I wish. Okay, I could be her devoted servant, tidying her papers and fluffing her pillow, but even she found many hateful things about living in the Middle Ages, like crying babies, messy guests, and mansplainers, so irritating even way back then. You better shut up and take your medicine. I had to work over here to not laugh out loud. I was trying to make you laugh. <laughs> I, held, I held it in so many, so many places. I was just ready to laugh out loud or cheer. God, I love that poem. Thank you, God, Charlie. You just go from one funny thing to another. It's just a riot. You're a midwife with no birthing tub. Come on. What a tough job to have in the Middle Ages to be a midwife. I think it would. Pretty yeah. tough. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention being a mother. Uh, yes, high fatality rate, high mortality yeah. rate. Oh my God! Whoa! Yes. Did, did that? Did, how did that poem? How did? What was your process in writing that poem? Did, oh. did you meditate on it? Did you like go back to it and go back to it and add? There's so many little things. I'm wondering if they they came to you at different times, like it didn't come in one burst. Or maybe a lot of it came in one burst. Just a, curious. You know. A lot of it came in one burst. I I I did write it at Yaddo, and that was my first writer's residency. So I think I had a lot of poems waiting to come out. And and I'm so grateful for that time. I had two weeks there. And I as you can tell, if you're a medieval historian, my understanding of medieval history is pretty limited. So I wrote down Whatever I remembered about <laughs> medieval times and, you know, like um, the bubonic plague and things like that. And then later when I was revising, I went back and looked up who was writing then mm. and, you know, okay, yeah. came across some other things and, and made up some jokes. And But I wanted it to sound like a, a an outpouring of anguish and, and, um, and self-lacerating humor. Great. <laughs> And that's the one that'll be in the best poetry of 2019, right? Um, no, this no, will be the, in the next, the next one, one the of next one. best uh, American poetry of 2020. Gotcha. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Great. Yes. Thank Super. you. Super. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, you you mentioned being a rural Vermonter now, that we, oh, or whatever you want to do next. Uh, you have your poem about calling on the wise woman of Vermont for yes. advice. Yeah. I can see you doing that. 
How far out in the wilderness are you? <laughs> are you like in the shadow of Highway 7A or are you off in the, in the woods somewhere? Well, I used to live more in the country, but I oh. moved into town recently. Oh. So now I'm only five minutes from Hannaford. I can't complain. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I have all the modern conveniences now. Yes, we have all the modern conveniences in Bennington. People may not know that. Yes, but I still have bears. I mean, oh. we're still in the country. Oh, yes. wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, coyotes? I have not heard coyotes oh. around my new house yet. They seem to be around. But anyway. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on to the wise woman. Okay. Speaking of. This poem I wrote for the wise woman Ann Fitzgerald. Wise woman. Wise woman of Vermont, come out of the forest. Assure me I won't die lonely in these woods. Show me how to keep owls out of my hair. Tell me how to stack wood, to shoot trespassers, to seal the cracks in my heart to keep the ice out. Promise me a catamount won't think I'm food. Make me a pot of venison stew while you describe what to expect during the changes, when you no longer sleep and my sorrow seems girlish. Teach me how to trim my whiskers when I get witchy. Advise me which mushrooms won't kill us quickly. Suggest stapling my son to the wall till he's 27. Tell me of your childless aunt who died asking for her kids. How do I make it in this cold, hard land? Tell me where the treasure's buried. What's the song I have to sing to myself? There you go again. Staple my son to the wall. (laughs) Of course, that's the first thing a wise woman from Vermont's going to think of telling you. (laughs) By the way, here's how you handle the kid. Do you have a stapler? That is funny. Well, then oh. he'll be safe. You'll yeah, know where that's he true. is. Well, that's true. That's good. That's a good motherly thought. That's very, very thoughtful and motherly. Yeah. Uh, do you, what if you're if you're going to tell students how to write a poem? What what are a couple of things you'd tell them? Oh God! Or how to write poetry, or um, a specific poem? Well. When I work with students who are writing poems, my pedagogy is we read lots of poetry. I, I was just teaching a tutorial in modernist women's poetry. And what we did was we would read Mina Loy and then figure out what she was doing mm. and try to mimic her in some way. So try to steal her techniques and try them so this the students i was working with would you know take her the way that she would rupture syntax and include all these different discourses and try to do it in their own poems and eventually you know obviously their content would be the content of the poem and they would be flexing their poetic muscles and trying out some new strategies so that's how i like to teach poetry and i think it generates new work for the students I think yeah. your content is something that always comes out. Yeah. But to play with form and technique yeah. is, is very useful. I may be wrong in this, but I have the impression that not a lot of people do this with poetry. When you when I'm thinking about it as you're talking, I mean it's like somebody who wants to learn to paint, going to the gallery and copying something. Yeah. It's yeah. not the same thing. 
but but it's Similar, it's in yeah. the same ballpark. Like, right. do a whole bunch of poems from whoever it is, and yeah. then try to write one in that style. Yes, and right. it's just it's a very interesting and seemingly simple but handy idea. Yes, and it, as you said, it gets something out. Absolutely, so, something so you, you didn't something. expect. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I like that. Or even just taking a line like from a Sappho poem and and beginning yeah. your poem with that. I like. I like exercises like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. No harm in just spinning off the people who know how to do it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I know when I'm writing, I'm often thinking about a particular poem. Hmm. I find that interesting because I think I never do that. Oh, I see. <laughs> so it's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'll consciously read somebody and then try to do one, as you said, in class. Yes. Uh, or sometimes after a poem's finished, I'll say, whoo. You know, Ted Kuzer might have said that, oh, <laughs> or something like right, that, after right. I've written it. Right. But, I don't know. Right. Anyway. Well, I find it's very interesting. Folks, these are tips. Okay. We put this in here. Tips. Just poetry so, because lots of people who like to write poetry like to listen to podcasts about poetry. Wonderful. I assume. Wonderful. Yeah. So we've got time for one more. Okay. Your choice. You've got, I know you've got more than one with you, and whatever you'd like to do. And uh, this is great. Okay, I think I'd like to read Upon Reading Milton. This is a, 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 a poem I wrote after teaching a class on Paradise Lost at the college, and I had these wonderful students, and um, we were studying the poem, and I noticed that s- several of my students kept pronouncing Satan, who is one of the main characters in Paradise Lost, <laughs> Uh, as Satan, Satan, yeah, right. and I didn't. To me, it sounded kind of cute. Like you would say, "I lost my mitten," you know, or or right. I have a new kitten. And you know, later I found out this is called um, tea glottalization, where oh. you you turn a tea into it, you kind of uh, yeah. swallow it. Um, but at at the time, I didn't know this was a common thing, and I. At one point, I told them, you know, why are you saying Satan? It makes him sound so kind of adorable. This is the Lord <laughs> of cute. Darkness. I think we should give him a hard tea. You know, this is <clears throat> Satan. He's Satan. There you go. It's terrifying. And um, so it gave me this, the idea for this poem. Um, and it begins with an epigraph, my favorite part of the poem, in which Eve, to me, who is the star of the epic, says this beautiful thing after the angel Michael has told her and Adam they have to they blew it better pack up their stuff and go and she says how shall I part and wither wander down into a lower world to this obscure and wild how shall we breathe in other air less pure accustomed to immortal fruits upon reading Milton Students say Satan when reading Paradise Lost. White girls from Catholic schools wither wander down. Good daughters forever long for the obscure and wild. Whichever way he flies, the Lord of Darkness needs a hard tea. I long to meet that blank verse, to breathe its other air. But his daughter, Deborah, forced scribe, gets in my way. He turned her out and her sister, too, for his third wife. Happiness at last, after the divorce tracks and civil war. Two wives dead, 
on the blood-soaked birthing bed. Blind Milton worked his great poem in a green suit and sword, made his daughters milk his grand ambivalence in ten languages. They sold some of his books. He didn't understand why. My dreams long for no tyrant shouting from a cloud ship. Stuck in this lower world, I want this dented red apple, less pure, plucked from a child's plastic grocery cart. All right. And we end on a poem inspired by teaching Milton. That's very cool and appropriate. Thanks for being here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You are listening to Poetry Spoken here. We have been visiting with Camille Guthrie, who's from right around the corner here in southwestern Vermont. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Munley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. <laughs>